Welcome to Russian History Retold. Episode 238, The Development of Russian Literature, Part 1. Last time, we covered the numerous plagues and epidemics in Russian history. Today, we go into a completely different direction. Our journey today is to learn about the development of literature in Russian, beginning with the primary chronicle, lay of Igor's campaign, and the life of Avakum. I'll be leaning on four books for today's episode. First is A History of Russia, 8th edition by Nicholas Ryazanovsky and Mark D. Steinberg. Then Medieval Russia's Epics, Chronicles, and Tales, edited by Sergei Zenkovsky. Then we have Natasha's Dance, A Cultural History of Russia by Orlando Feiges, and Land of the Firebird, The Beauty of Old Russia by Suzanne Massey. According to Wikipedia, quote, Literature broadly is any collection of written work, but it is also used more narrowly for writings specifically considered to be an art form, especially prose fiction, drama, and poetry. Most of the writings of medieval Russia relates to the lives of saints and of the Russian Orthodox Church, also tales, instruction manuals, travel logs, and letters. Examples of these type of works include Instructions to His Children by Vladimir Monomak, Lives of St. Theodosius, Alexander Nevsky, Prince Dovmont, and Dmitry Donskoy, along with the writing of Daniel the Prisoner and the Travels of Afanasi Nikitin. Of course, the most famous of all works from medieval Russia is the prim Primary Chronicle. Unlike Europe, literature in Russia was a late bloomer. While the West had Greek and Roman literature to draw upon, it wasn't until the Christianization of Russia in 988 by Vladimir the Great that literacy and writing first appear amongst the Slavs. It wasn't until the mid-9th century that the people of Rus even had an alphabet to write with. This was developed by Kirill and Methodius, two saints of early Christendom. It was known as Church Slavonic, and it had its basis in Byzantium's churches. The first writings we have any knowledge of come from the sermons from Bishop Luca Jediata and Metropolitan Hilarion, sometime about 40 to 50 years after the Christian conversion of the people. The first real piece of literature was a collection of stories gathered between 850 and 1110 and put together in 1113. It begins with the sentence, quote, These are the narratives of bygone years regarding the origin of the land of Rus, the first princes of Kiev, and from what source the land of Rus had its beginning. This is why it's also known as the tale of bygone years. It is our primary source of the history of the early days of Kiev and the Russian people. The alleged author of the original primary chronicle is a monk named Nestor, who lived from 1056 until 1114. He was working under the court of the somewhat disliked Grand Prince, or Vliki Knyaz, Sviatopolk II. This is why some call the work Nestor's Chronicles, or Nestor's Manuscript. 
There were many theories why the work was created, but the general consensus is that it was to promote what is known as pan-Scandinavian attitude. The Chronicle tells how the Scandinavian Rurik brothers came to power in the land of the Slavs. The founding of the city of Kiev, the murder of the two Varangian brothers of Rurik, Askold and Deer, the death of Oleg in 912, the cause of which was reportedly foreseen by him, which I will tell you in a minute, and the vengeance taken by Olga, the wife of Igor, on the Dravillians who had murdered her husband. The death of Oleg is one of legend. A pagan priest had foretold that Oleg's horse would be his killer. To make sure that the prophecy would not come true, Oleg sent the horse away. Many years later, he asked where his horse was and was told it had died. He asked to see the remains and was taken to the place where the bones lay. When he crushed the horse's skull with his boot, a snake slithered from the skull and bit him. Oleg died, thus fulfilling the prophecy. Now, whether this is a true story is highly, highly unlikely, as it is almost identical to another Norse legend, the saga of Orvar Oder. Two years after the death of Nestor, and now under a new Vlieki Knyaz, Vladimir Monomach, the hegemon Sylvester extensively edited the work to show Monomach under a much better light and to diminish his hated cousin Sviatopolk II's reign. This work is the oldest version of Nestor's writing in what is known as the Laurentian Codex. The third edition, written in 1118, whose authorship is unknown, focused on Vladimir's son and heir, Mstislav the Great. It also edited some of the interactions of the Rus with their Byzantine contemporaries. It is because of this that we believe that the editor was Greek and not Russian. It is also a surviving work known as the Hypatian Codex. What is undeniable is that the primary chronicle is not the work of one person, but the conglomeration of many different authors, and was pieced together in a rather well-thought-out manner. I'm going to stop talking about the primary chronicle here, as we'll cover its significance more in the very near future. Much of the literature that followed the primary chronicle was really just retelling of old folk tales or recounting of historical events. It would also include biographies of famous Russians, like Alexander Nevsky and the archpriest Avakum. It wasn't until the time of Peter the Great that Russian literature really began to spread its wings. Peter encouraged the development of the arts and literature as a means of dragging Russia out of its medieval ways and mannerisms. He saw the influence that writing had on Europe during his great embassy. This would serve as the base for blossoming of literature in the late 18th century and beyond. Satirist Antonok Dmitrievich Kantemir who lived between 1708 and 1744, was the first writer to benefit from Peter the Great's reforms. He has been called the father of Russian poetry, as he was one of the first. Kantemir is an interesting character, as he was born into a noble family in Moldavia. He would spend much of his early years in Constantinople as a hostage of the Ottoman Empire. After his release, he and his family moved to Russia, where he studied at the St. Petersburg Academy. From 1731 to 1736, 
Cantemir was the Russian ambassador to Great Britain. Afterwards, he became an important diplomat to France. Cantemir would translate works from the classical world, such as Homer, to what we would call modern Russian. Before him, almost all of the literature was written in Church Slavonic, an archaic language that, as I mentioned earlier, was developed in the 9th century. Vasily Tredyakovsky was a contemporary of Cantemir and the first Russian commoner to be educated outside the country. He would spend his time at the Sorbonne in Paris from 1727 to 1730. Upon his return, Tredyakovsky would become the acting secretary at the Russian Academy of Sciences and the de facto court poet. Tredyakovsky would, like Cantemir, translate classical works as well as medieval philosophers and French literature. His works, though, would draw the wrath of the government censors, which would cost him his position at the Academy of Sciences in 1759. Alexander Petrovich Sumorokov would emerge as a rival to both Tryadikovsky and Kantemir. The former was a professor, while the latter was an aristocratic dilettante. Sumorokov, on the other hand, was the first gentleman in Russia to choose the profession of letters. He consequently would be called the father of the Russian literary profession. He would also aid the Russian polymath, Mikhail Vasilievich Lomonsov, to inaugurate the reign of classicism in Russian literature. The two would be responsible for the formation of the modern Russian literary language. D.S. Mirsky, author of A History of Russian Literature from its Beginnings to 1880, was not a fan of his and had this to say about Sumorokov. Quote, The good acting made the reputation of Sumorokov, as the literary value of his plays is small. His tragedies are a stultification of the classical method, though Alexandrine couplets are extremely harsh. Their characters are marionettes. His comedies are adaptations of French plays, with a feeble sprinkling of Russian traits. Their dialogue is a stilted prose that had never been spoken by anyone and reeked of translation. The heavy criticism of Sumorokov must be viewed with a bit of skepticism, as he was really a pioneer in the field, and he was experimenting with a language that was just taking shape. An additional contribution he made was due to his daughter, Ekaterina Alexandrovna Nyazhnina. She would be the first woman to be published in Russia. Her husband, Yakov Borisovich Knyaznin, would be the successor to his father-in-law, Sumorokov. Yakov would find a supporter in Catherine the Great for many years. He and his wife would house one of the most important literary salons in Russia. His work, Vadim of Novgorod, published in 1789, would draw the ire of Empress Catherine as it supported the idea of locals rebelling against their overlords. This was due to the backdrop of the French Revolution, something that Catherine justifiably had a great fear of. Literature in Russia under Catherine would change and take a more political and social stance. This was first seen with the writings of Alexander Nikolaevich Radishchev. His 1790 novel, Journey from St. Petersburg to Moscow, 
depicted the horrible socioeconomic conditions in Russia. This would result in Radyshev's exile to Siberia until 1797. The Empress Catherine the Great read the work, viewed Radyshev's calls for reform as evidence of Jacobin-style radicalism, and ordered copies of the text confiscated and destroyed. Out of the 650 copies originally printed, only 17 had survived by the time of the work was reprinted in England 50 years later. After Catherine's death, Emperor Paul recalled Radyshev to Russia. Tsar Alexander I employed him to help revise Russian law, something Radyshev had made a lifelong dream. Unfortunately, his tenure in this administrative role proved short and unsuccessful. In 1802, a despondent Radyshev possibly rebuked in a friendly manner for expressing radical ideas by Count Zavadovsky, who in his reproof spoke of another exile to Siberia, committed suicide by drinking poison. Nikolai Mihailovich Karamizin, a contemporary Radyshev, would take a more careful journey in Russian literature. He would gain the favor of Tsar Alexander I, writing works like The Island of Bornholm and Ilya Muromets. But it was his next work that would pave the way for a whole new genre in Russian literature, the 12-volume History of the Russian State. No one had produced a history of Russia to that time since the Primary Chronicle, except for a coarse attempt by Vasily Nikitich Tachyshev. Tachyshev's work would espouse autocracy as the ideal form of government in Russia. His history of the country would focus on the positivity of aristocracy whenever possible. The work was called Russian History Dating Back to the Most Ancient Times. Critics of his noted that Tachyshev was unable to disseminate the difference between real documents and fakes, so his history would sit on bookshelves instead of being source material in the future. Unfortunately for Karamazin, he would not live to see the completion of the book as he died in 1826 at the Tarybe Palace in St. Petersburg after finishing Volume 11. The years he spent in Tsarskoy Selo with the Tsar would be the best years of his life. The next author is Denis Ivanovich Fonvezen, who was considered the father of literary comedy in Russia, and Alexander Griboydov. Fonvezen's main works are two satirical comedies, one of them, Young Ignoramus, which mocks contemporary Russian gentry, is still being staged today. Fonvezen received a good education at the Imperial Moscow University, and very early began writing and translating. He entered the civil service, becoming secretary to Count Nikita Panin, one of the great noblemen of Catherine the Great's reign. Because of Panin's produ- protection, Fonvezin was able to write critical plays without fear of being arrested. And in the late 1760s, he brought out the first of his two famous comedies. Uh, one of the great noblemen and the brigadier, general. His two comedies would be the most popular works in the field until Alexander Griboydev's Woe from Wit. This play was a compulsory work in Russian literature lessons in Soviet schools, 
and is still considered a golden classic in modern Russia and other minority Russian-speaking countries. It wouldn't meet censors' guidelines, so it took from 1825 to 1861 until the entirety of the work was fully published. The names that begin to jump out at you when you look at the 19th century, you begin to realize how amazing it was. You have Vasily Zhukovsky and later that of his protege, Alexander Pushkin. Others included poets such as Mikhail Lermontov, also known as, for the novel, A Hero of Our Time, written in 1841. You have Evgeny Baratinsky, Konstantin Batyushkov, Nikolai Nekrasov, Alexei Konstantinovich Tolstoy, Fyodor Tyotchev, and Afasnasi Fett. When it came to novelists, though, the names are even more impressive. They include Nikolai Gogol, Ivan Goncharov, Ivan Turgenev, Anton Chekhov, Fyodor Dostoevsky, Mikhail Saltikov, Shesheridan, and, of course, the great Leo Tolstoy. We'll talk about all of these and a few others. The reach of these giants transcends Russian literature, as many of their works have been translated into many different languages. Vasily Shukovsky was born in 1787 and would become one of the leaders of the Romantic movement, while also serving as a tutor to both Grand Duchess Alexandra Fyodorovna, the wife of Tsar Nicholas I, their son, the future Alexander II. He was born the illegitimate son of a landowner named Afanasi Bunin and his Turkish housekeeper, Salka. The Bunin family was to produce a Nobel Prize winner, the first Russian Nobel Prize winner in literature, Ivan Bunin. We will talk about him in two episodes. The Romantic movement began in Russia about 20 to 30 years after, Russia, after Western Europe. Romanticism has been characterized by its emphasis on emotion and individualism, the idealization of nature, suspicion of science and industrialization, and glorification of the past with a strong preference for the medieval rather than the classical. Early European Romantic writers include the German Goethe. In England, you had Wadsworth, Keats, Lord Byron, and Shelley. Zhukovsky and Konstantin Nikolaevich Batyushkov were the two earliest Romantic writers, but they pale in comparison to one of the early giants of Russian literature, Alexander Pushkin. Batyushkov was an important early influence on Pushkin after they met for the first time at Tsarskoye Selo in 1815. The following years of Konstantin's life would see him gain acclaim but it came at a heavy cost. He was a sickly man and had been affected by Napoleon's invasion of Russia. After meeting Pushkin, he would begin a spiral of mental decline. Zhukovsky would try to help his fellow author, begging Tsar Alexander I to provide whatever aid that was available. Batyushkov would be given a lifetime pension and was treated at various facilities over the last 30 years of his life. He would die of typhus, in 1855. Alexander Pushkin would quickly overshadow both Batyushkov and Zhukovsky very early on. Since I already did an episode on Pushkin's life, 
I'm going to focus on his works. He would publish his first poem when he was a mere 15 years old in 1814. Pushkin would go on to write a vast array of works. They would include 12 narrative poems, the most famous being Ruslan and Ludmila, Poltava, the Bronze Horseman, and of course, Eugene Onegin. Pushkin would further offer two dramas, Boris Gudinov and the Little Tragedies series. He would also pen five novels, four of which would remain unfinished, eight fairy tales in verse, and two nonfiction works, a history of Pugachev and a journey to Arzrum. His unfortunate early death due to a duel he lost in 1837 at the all-too-young age would rob the world of more literary works of genius, a tragedy as great as any of his writings. A lesser-known giant of the Romantic era in Russian literature, but not any lesser of an influence, is Mikhail Yuryevich Lermontov. He was known to many as the poet of the Caucasus. He would become the most important Russian poet after Alexander Pushkin's death and the greatest figure in Russian Romanticism. Lermontov's work still casts a grand shadow over current Russian writers. Born in Moscow in 1814, Lermontov's family on his father's side could be traced to Scotland, George Learmonth, who went into service in Russia in 1613. Going back even further, the family history claims that Thomas the Rhymer, also known as Thomas Learmont, a 13th century author, was a relative. Lermontov's first flirtation with fame came as a result of Pushkin's loss at the duel. He wrote Death of the Poet, and within the circle of writers in Russia, showed his talent. But, according to the increasingly autocratic and conservative reign of Tsar Nicholas I, it was considered way too radical to publish publicly. Handwritten copies of this version of the poem circulated among the St. Petersburg intelligentsia, which sent up red flags to the authorities. Those final 16 lines were regarded by authorities as seditious freethinking, and Lermontov was arrested. As you might remember from the episode on uh, Pushkin, he was constantly at loggerheads with Nicholas, causing him to be in and out of trouble. Lermontov would be forced into exile in the Caucasus for the first, but not the last time. Lermontov was a rabble-rouser and would infuriate those around him. He would get into one duel where he would be injured at the very same location that Pushkin had died. Lermontov would anger members of the Tsar's family at a ball, which would lead to yet another forced exile. Here, Lermontov would meet the same fate as Pushkin when he infuriated another fellow officer. Lermontov made it known that he would fire into the air, but his opponent made no such pledge. He would shoot the author in the heart, killing him at the age of 26. Our next author of note is Yevgeny Abramovich Baratinsky. Pushkin thought of Baratinsky as one of the great authors of poetry with its preciseness, something that would not be found until Anna Akhmatova a hundred years later. Much of Baratinsky's writing was described best as being melancholy, sad, and dejected. Baratinsky would be yet another Russian writer who would die at a young age, passing away at the age of 44 in Naples, Italy. Nikolai Alexeyevich Nekrasov 
born in 1821, is also considered one of the great Russian poets of the 19th century, alongside Pushkin and Lermontov. He would become the darling of the left, hated by the conservative right, and highly influential as the editor of a number of important literary journals. Nekrasov's most famous poem is the unfinished epic, Who is Happy in Russia? It was written between 1863 and 1876, telling the story of seven peasants who set out to ask various elements of the rural population if they were happy, to which the answer is never satisfactory. It reveals the sad lives of the typical Russian peasant, something that did not endear him, obviously, with the Russian czar and his court. It showed the ugly side of Russia, which the authorities wanted to avoid letting the public know anything about. As Orlando Figes puts it in his book, Natasha's Dance, A Cultural History of Russia, quote, Of all those writing about peasants, none was more inspiring to the populists than Nikolai Nekrasov. Nekrasov's poetry gave a new, authentic voice to the vengeance and sorrow of the peasantry. Between 1844 and 1876, Nekrasov would write 35 poems, one play, and one novel of fiction, The Life and Adventures of Tikhon Trostnikov. When Nikolai Alexeyevich Nekrasov died on January 8, 1878, 4,000 people came to the funeral. The procession, procession leading to the Novodevichy Cemetery turned into a political rally. Fyodor Dostoevsky delivered the keynote eulogy, calling Nekrasov the greatest Russian poet since Alexander Pushkin and Mikhail Lermontov. The far-left followers of Chernyshevsky yelled, no, he was greater. His influence continued into the Russian Revolution and beyond. A second cousin of Leo Tolstoy, Count Alexei Konstantinovich Tolstoy, would be the most important 19th century Russian history dramatist, primarily on the strength of his dramatic trilogy, The Death of Ivan the Terrible in 1866, Tsar Fyodor Ionovich in 1868, and Tsar Boris in 1870. He also gained fame for his satirical works, which included History of the Russian State from Gostmysil to Timoshev and The Dream of Counselor Popov. His fictional works include the novella The Family of Vurdalak, The Vampire, and the historical novel Prince Serebrini. This Tolstoy would become a close friend of Tsar Alexander II from an early age. Most of his life would be one of leisure and travel, having gone to Germany once where he met Goethe. Unfortunately, his later years were punctuated with bouts of asthma, chest pains, and recurring severe headaches. He would give himself a fatal injection of morphine on September 28, 1875, in Krasny Rog, Chernigov Governorate, at the age of 58. Fyodor Ivanovich Churchev, born in 1803, would become one of the most brilliant pan-Slavist poets of the 19th century. He was not born just to a noble family, but one with deep connections to Russian culture. Fyodor's mother, Ekaterina Lovona Tolstaya, belonged to the Tolstoy family on her father's side and the Rimsky-Korsakov noble house on her mother's side. 
Chuchev would serve as a censor under Tsar Alexander II, but his liberal domestic beliefs would put him in conflict with his superiors. He would promote freedom of expression and welcome the reforms of the Tsar and his declaration of the emancipation of the serfs. Chuchev would inspire a whole generation of poets, musicians, and philosophers after his death in 1873. Due to his liberal views, much of his over 200 poems were lost, eventually being found and surreptitiously distributed throughout Russia. Afanasy Afanasyevich Fet is the last of the great 19th century Russian poets. Born to a German mother and a Russian father, he would be sent to a German boarding school in Estonia for his education. Fett would start writing poetry while at law school. One of his friends would send samples of his work to Nikolai Gogol, who was quite impressed with his work. This would inspire the young man to continue writing even during his service in the Russian army. Fett's career would be a long one, ending with his death in 1892 at the age of 71. Novels would begin to flourish in Russian literature, starting in 1842 with the publication of Dead Souls by Nikolai Gogol. Other giants of the novel would include Ivan Goncharov, Ivan Turgenev, Fyodor Dostoevsky, Anton Chekhov, and of course, Leo Tolstoy. Ivan Alexandrovich Goncharov would be the first novelist to use realism as the basis for his works, abandoning the ideas of the Romantic era. Born into a wealthy merchant family, Goncharov would get an excellent education. His father would be the mayor of Simbirsk, which gave him a number of important connections that his son would avail himself of. Goncharov would be best known for three novels. The Same Old Story, published in 1847, Oblomov, which came out in 1859, and The Precipice, his last major work, coming out in 1869. Towards the end of his life, Goncharov would become a bitter man as he felt that his fame was overshadowed by lesser authors, especially Ivan Turgenev. He accused Turgenev of plagiarizing some of his work. This claim is highly likely to be unfounded and is considered the work of an unstable mind. Goncharov would die of pneumonia in 1891 at the age of 79. Anton Chekhov, though, would say that Goncharov was, quote, Ten heads above me in talent. Ivan Sergeyevich Turgenev, the target of Goncharov's ire, was born in 1818 to an old noble Russian family. His, his family would travel to Germany and France when he was a young boy, which would have a great influence on his writing and his love of Western Europe. This love would bring him into constant conflict with two of the other giants of Russian literature, Leo Tolstoy and Fyodor Dostoevsky. Turgenev would write seven novels, nine plays, and numerous other pieces of fiction during his long career. Even though he had a period of refusal to talk to Tolstoy, which lasted for 17 years, on his deathbed in 1883, he begged Leo to return to writing. Because of this plea, Tolstoy would write both The Death of Ivan Ilyich and The Kreutzer Sonata. One of the things that separated Turgenev from Dostoevsky and Tolstoy was his agnosticism. He was one of the few Russian writers of the time to distance themselves from any religious overtones in his works. 
Despite of all the controversies surrounding Ivan, he would still be viewed as a master of his craft. Turgenev's first major publication was a short story collection entitled A Sportsman's Sketches, published in 1852. That work was considered a milestone of Russian realism. His novel, Fathers and Sons, which came out in 1862, is regarded as one of the major works of 19th century fiction. Anton Pavlovich Chekhov, born in 1860, stands with Henrik Ebsen and August Strindberg as one of the three seminal figures in the birth of early modernism in the theater. Interestingly enough, Chekhov was a doctor by profession. Medicine is my lawful wife, he once said, and literature is my mistress. Chekhov's early life was one filled with suffering as his father was abusive to the children and his wife. His father sent the family into bankruptcy, barely avoiding debtors' prison by fleeing to Moscow. Anton was left behind in Tagnarog to sell off the family's last possessions and to continue his education. The hard times would mold the young man's writing skills. Chekhov would use his remarkable ability to write stories as a means of supporting his family, as well as to pay for tuition to medical school. By 1886, he was not only well-known within the writer's circle, but throughout Russia. Unfortunately, his health was always a factor, suffering from recurring bouts of tuberculosis. Despite all of his troubles, Chekhov's plays, such as The Seagull, written in 1895, Uncle Vanya, written in 1897, The Three Sisters, written in 1900, and The Cherry Orchard, written in 1903, served as a revolutionary backbone to what is common sense to the medium of acting to this day, an effort to recreate and express the realism of how people truly act and speak with each other. It was Chekhov's gift to the world. All told, Chekhov would write several hundred short stories and seven full-length plays. His depiction of the hard and depressing lives of the Russian peasant appealed to those on the left, including anarchist Peter Kropotkin and Bolshevik leader Vladimir Lenin. Chekhov's wife, Olga, wrote the following about the author's last moments as he lay dying of tuberculosis at the young age of 44. Quote, Anton sat up unusually straight and said loudly and clearly, although he knew almost no German, Ich sterbe! I'm dying. The doctor calmed him, took a syringe, gave him an injection of camphor, and ordered champagne. Anton took a full glass, examined it, smiled at me, and said, quote, It's a long time since I drank champagne. He drained it and lay quietly on his left side, and I had just time to run to him and lean across the bed and to call to him. But he had stopped breathing and was sleeping peacefully as a child. As I sit here finishing up my review of Anton Chekhov, it made me realize, you know, this guy may be due an episode all to himself, but that one will come next year as I've got a whole series of uh, episodes all the way up to the beginning of the new year. Our last two writers in the golden age of Russian literature are men who have already devoted a complete episode in the past, Fyodor Dostoevsky and Leo Tolstoy. 
along with Chekhov, Dostoevsky, and Tolstoy, are considered the absolute giants of the golden age of Russian literature. Dostoevsky would publish 16 novels and the same number of short stories. Tolstoy would produce three novels, 11 novellas, and 58 short stories. Of his short stories, 16 have still not been translated from Russian. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's big episode. Join me next time while I'll complete the series on the development of literature in Russia. So, until next time, до свидания и спасибо большое.